Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again. We are here to talk all things WWE. We're going to go down everything that happened this week across SmackDown and Raw as WWE continues building for what honestly is shaping up to be a pretty fantastic Royal Rumble card at the end of the month. Now, on today's show, the Silver King, in a rarity, will be riding solo. Uh, We had an extremely busy weekend slash start to the week with the college football playoff national championship vintage Chris Vanini and I both extremely tired coming out of Monday night. Chris is currently traveling. So the Silver King is here to kind of break things down on my own. I would expect it to be a relatively quick show today. Uh, There's plenty to go over. And I have to say, coming into this episode, this is probably the best, I don't know, top to bottom week of WWE TV that we've gotten in a while, at least When I went through my grades and I looked at the good, the bad, and the ugly, how I set up the segment, there was really only one truly bad slash ugly uh, segment this week. There were some bads, but really only one ugly thing that I saw across both shows. Every match on Raw, I think, was at least 10 minutes, with the exception of the Omas squash match. There was only one women's match across the five hours. That was the negative. That was the obvious problem. But WWE's roster right now is seriously thin for the women. And they did have other big storyline moments across both shows for the women. So that kind of made up for it. It just felt like WWE TV this week that things were well thought through. And I know that's a really low bar, like when we're, you know, critiquing their product. But sometimes that can be enough between a good show and a bad show. Things coming together, connecting making sense, and also kind of giving you a glimpse into what is going to happen going forward in WWE. So we do have a lot to talk about on today's show. I do need to remind you, of course, off the top that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, well, this show, folks, it's all about one thing. It's all about defiance. So please, Getting Overheads. Stop being marks for yourselves and Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please leave Getting Over a five-star rating and on Apple Podcasts, also a review. Let people know how much you love this show. And of course, if you leave that five-star review for us on Apple Podcasts, we will read your comments. And that's exactly what we're doing here. I got a couple of them over the last week. MM6381, longtime listener, love the banter between Adam and Chris. Putting out multiple episodes a week has to be time-consuming, but I appreciate the time and effort taken to get these podcasts out, especially the detailed recaps. Adam puts together each episode. Great content week after week. Also, Runicas, R-O-O-N-I-C-A-S. Silver King's analysis is very good, if I can be nitpicky. I think Adam sometimes gets too nitpicky. This is actually a four-star review. I shouldn't be reading this. We're all about the five on this podcast. But thank you for that uh, critique there. I do take uh, constructive criticism well, so thank you. Uh, Lewis underscore Veraldi, by far my favorite wrestling podcast. They objectively review NXT, WWE, and AEW, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Give them a listen, tell them Sweet Lou sent you. And lastly, Mark for Old School. He wrote, just finished the meaties. Great job. Always a great podcast. It's time for some getting over merch. First shirt is Chris's face with a word bubble saying, yeah. <laughs> I think that's funny. Uh, yes, he always does reply first. Uh, yeah, so no, that can work. I don't know that that'll be the first shirt, but maybe we can get it among the top five regarding merch. Look, I would love to create it, right? It does take a little effort to put it together. If you guys legitimately want merch, if you want primarily t-shirts, let's start there, or maybe koozies, like those two products, I'm happy to make them. But I need to know that there's a significant enough number of you where it makes sense. So send us a tweet you know, with a thumbs up, tell us I want merch, whatever the case. And if it's a good number of you that reply, I will go ahead and make some merch. And you can do that, by the way, by following us and tweeting us on Twitter, which is where tweets are sent, at Getting Overcast. One more thing before we get into the main event, and then of course, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Some news coming down in the world of WWE that Sasha Banks is going to be ruled out of the Royal Rumble. She suffered a foot injury in that house show match with Charlotte Flair that we all thought 
was a knee injury. Turns out it's a foot injury and she's going to be sidelined for six to eight weeks from that date. So I'd say she's about two weeks in. Obviously, she's going to miss the Royal Rumble. It stands to reason that she will most likely miss whatever blood money in the stand show we're going to get in February uh, across in Saudi Arabia. So the goal for her really is WrestleMania. That does take her out of the Royal Rumble match. She has not been in that match, by the way, since 2018. So we're just continuing that trend. That to me says, hey, 2023 rolls around. Sasha Banks should win the Royal Rumble. But hey, you know, we still got plenty of time before we get there. Also, shout out to Sasha. Uh, Of course, you know, let me first say, I hope she gets better soon and we badly want her and WWE badly needs her on television. But I also want to give her a shout out because she was in the opening package to the college football playoff national championship between Alabama and Georgia on Monday night. She was the feature person in there. She didn't really have many lines, but she was the one uh, on the video. So pretty cool moment for her. Great to uh, see her get another mainstream type of opportunity like that. And her name was on the screen. It was all pretty cool. And one other you know item, news item really quick before we get into the show. Uh, John Cena did some interviews over the past week. He said he is basically questionable. Uh, for WrestleMania 38. He doesn't know if his schedule is going to allow him to make it, but he did say that he is far from done with WWE and he expects to have plenty more matches uh, going forward in his life. So there you go. Some news updates here at the start of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Now let's talk about what actually happened on the shows, SmackDown and Raw, and what could well be ahead for the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. And we start as always, folks, by sliding into the main event. So we're going to start with SmackDown, where Roman Reigns opened the show. He wanted acknowledgement, as always. This, by the way, is coming off uh, his COVID-19 positive test. He was able to make the show. He got some face cheers at first. He also got what chance, and that was a weird combination between the two. He said he never wanted to see Brock Lesnar or Paul Heyman again. They entered. Heyman tried to do the intro, but Lesnar instead did it right into Reigns' face. Lesnar then made a title versus title challenge. Reigns said he doesn't do business with people who work with trash like Heyman. Heyman took offense to that, got emotional. Reigns and Lesnar kind of argued over Heyman. Then Reigns hit a Superman punch on Lesnar, and that ended the segment. This was like, it was okay. If I'm supposed to like a tease for a title versus title match at WrestleMania, which to me means no other main event feuds, or two main event matches in night one, singles title matches, uh, where both guys retain and they still fight on night two, I'm not going to like that. It's just, it's not good booking if that's what they decide to do. Pat McAfee even spent time getting excited about it and it felt forced. It sounded awful to me. This was almost a worst case scenario segment as far as I was concerned, but it is still early. So I'm not going to go crazy about it. We could get title changes at the Royal Rumble. They could book WrestleMania in a way where it's potentially exciting. But I will say as of right now, I'm extremely pessimistic and I really do not know how it's going to play out. And that's obviously not a good thing going into a really big show. Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville uh, were backstage. Pierce said he got off the phone with WWE management, who wants Reigns to have a universal title challenger for the Royal Rumble by the end of SmackDown. And it was up for him to decide that person. Pierce went into Reigns' locker room to tell him that he chose his opponent. Roman didn't want to hear it and said no one on the roster deserved it. Then after the main event match, there was a knock on the door. Seth Rollins entered, cackled, and became obvious as Pierce's choice for the Universal title match. Now, this was incredible. We like, of course, obviously, when WWE keeps its brand separate, the, the main roster split, it is important. But look, an exception is acceptable in this spot, given their damn champion got COVID and missed a pay-per-view main event of a really big show at day one. I thought this was a very smart piece of booking if WWE's goal is to get its WrestleMania plans back on track. And by the way, the knock on the door, I tweeted it so you can go look at our Twitter account at Getting Overcast. It was a great Easter egg because Rollins knocked the shield theme on the door, which perked Reigns' ears up before Rollins entered. I thought that was really cool. Now, the question is, how does this all play out? Presumably, there's an opportunity for WWE to get itself back on track with what appear to have been its WrestleMania plans. The only way they can do that, though, is if Roman Reigns drops the Universal Championship 
Seth Rollins beats him. If that happens, then the titles can flip across brands because Rollins would stay on Raw with the Universal Championship and Lesnar would just begin building his feud again with Reigns for now the WWE Championship on the other show. Now, that would have been the case if WWE's plans for day one were to have Lesnar beat Reigns, which it really seems like that was the plan, and Rollins to leave that fatal four-way match as champion. The only difference would be they'd have different belts than they were scheduled to have going into WrestleMania, but that hardly matters. Also, it would be good booking because WWE would do a major title change on two consecutive pay-per-views, but with different championships. You know, the question though is, if you're going to do this, how does Reigns lose the title? The guy has been champion for 500 days. And do you really potentially have him just drop it to Rollins at Royal Rumble? And if it's not a simple, clean win, like it certainly could be, and certainly if they did decide to do that, it would dent Reigns' tribal chief, most dominant wrestler in the world persona. They could figure out a way to have Lesnar screw him over, or maybe even Kevin Kevin Owens help Seth Rollins screw over Reigns. They could even, if you wanted to take it a step further, they could possibly do that with the hopes of a double turn or a method of turning Reigns' face because as we've talked about on this podcast, what WWE has needed to do for five years with Roman Reigns was turn him heel, make him an awesome heel, and then turn him face. And when you do that, that person gets more over as a face than they ever were before. Kevin Owens is proof of that. When Owens goes heel and generates a lot of heat, and then you turn them back face, the face pops are massive. And they have the opportunity to do that with Reigns here. So, you know, again, the opening segment with Reigns and Lesnar teasing title versus title scared the shit out of me. Because if they book that for WrestleMania, it is going to be, I, I mean, I don't even know how they get around it to make the build to the show exciting. If that's your main event and the other and the titles aren't on the line, and even if they are on night one, you know that both of them are going to retain. So it's almost worthless. So that made me very pessimistic. But Rollins being chosen as the challenger, it created a sense of optimism. The problem is we are going to need to see it play out at the pay-per-view. The only other option is Reigns beating Rollins and Lashley beating Lesnar. And Lashley possibly beating Lesnar with help of Reigns and maybe the Usos. So it can go both ways. But... I think what's more likely potentially in this scenario is Rollins over Reigns. Again, we're weeks away. Let's see how this storyline keeps transpiring. We're going to talk about what happened on Raw with Rollins. But at this point, I'm just telling you what my thought was kind of coming out of SmackDown. I was concerned early, a little bit optimistic later, and now I'm totally in wait and see mode over the next couple of weeks. So on Raw, we had Rollins start hour two. He ranted about his title shot and he said, few things are sure things but him beating Reigns is one of them. Biggie announced that he's in the Royal Rumble. He got a nice pop. He said he wanted to beat Rollins at day one. That got screwed up. So now he's focused on beating Rollins if he wins the title at WrestleMania and becoming universal champion. He then challenged Rollins right away. Rollins at first wasn't for it. Then he accepted. And out of nowhere, we just got a singles match, Biggie versus Seth Rollins. The crowd, to my utter shock, was dead for most of this match in Philadelphia of all places. Biggie got them up with a tope spear, hit three belly to bellies. Rollins escaped the big ending, countered a Uranagi, and hit a frog splash for a bunch of near falls. Biggie got a near fall on a powerbomb, then put Rollins in a stretch muffler. Rollins escaped an avalanche big ending attempt and another one in the ring. E escaped the pedigree. Rollins delivered his rolling elbows and a stomp and rolled E over clean for the win in 18 minutes. Now, this was a damn good match. It's not going to get the credit it deserves because the crowd was so bad, it just sat on its hands for nearly the entire match. And I hate that because these guys worked hard. It was good wrestling. They should have been completely behind Big E, but they just kind of weren't. Um, but this, you know, this is a scenario where I think people are going to freak out or they're going to expect me to freak out over Big E losing. But this is kind of typical WWE booking. If one person has a title match coming up, and another isn't pegged for something immediately, but maybe is a little little bit down the line, or if he's pegged Big E for a Royal Rumble win, um, but they feel like, hey, you know what? All he needs to do is win that match. He doesn't necessarily need to have momentum going into the event. Then they had him lose here. I think the bigger problem is that they didn't need to put E in this spot at all. 
My concern coming out of this is Vince McMahon seeing the lack of crowd reaction in a major city for Big E. And if he did have plans for E to win the Royal Rumble or maybe win the title again at WrestleMania, maybe they're looking at this and they're saying, why are we going to strap the rocket to to this guy if the fans aren't going to get behind him? You know, E in this match really should have gotten a big reaction. And normally I would blame WWE for him not, but they're not really to blame here. This isn't the fault of E, not the fault of Rollins or even really WWE because those guys have both been pushed consistently hard as of late. And yes, E did lose the WWE title, but that doesn't mean that fans should randomly stop rooting for him. That's never been the case with anyone in the past. Or like big, you know, stars, people that really get behind those people. Um, so I went four stars and an A minus here for the match. But yeah, uh, it, I have to be honest, I'm really apprehensive of what this all means moving forward. We're going to have to wait and see, unfortunately. Uh, Lesnar and Heyman opened Raw just to kind of wrap, put a bow on this, put a bow on the main event. They opened Raw. And my first thought was that Heyman's completely like caged Lesnar because he was fully clothed wearing like a big jean jacket and actual jeans instead of his like overalls with the farmer look. I'm half joking, but he did look way more cleaned up than the farmer Brock, Viking Brock that we've gotten uh, over the last couple of like weeks slash months. Bobby Lashley and MVP watched in gorilla position. Her business came up excited for him. Lashley just shooed them away. And man, WWE's handling of this hurt business deal has been so weird because they helped them once. They tagged again, uh, Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. They started going by hurt business, but they never actually appeared with Lashley or MVP. It's just so, so freaking weird. I don't get it. It's like they wanted to bury them twice almost. Anyway, so Heyman did the intro. Lesnar got face cheers with a really big Philly crowd pop. Lashley got in his grill and said Lesnar's been ducking him for 20 years. Lesnar Lesnar said he's been busy winning titles in WWE and UFC, which he did not name. Uh, He didn't, and he said he didn't recognize Lashley at all until he saw him at day one. If he had met Lashley before, he'd already have beaten him and this wouldn't even be a conversation. Lesnar told a knock-knock joke that ended with Bobby Who as the punchline. The crowd popped, I popped, I thought it was hysterical. And then he called Lashley a Brock Lesnar wannabe. This was straight up like an excellent segment. And one of my favorite Lesnar talking segments, promos, whatever you want to call it, maybe ever, at least since his feud with Kurt Angle back in the day on SmackDown. This successfully built their main event match. It cast Lashley as like an underdog disrespected heel. Plus, Lesnar was just like hysterical in this entire thing. The guy seems to finally have found some new life in wrestling now that he can actually be a babyface. And I really hope they keep this up because it's refreshing and it's always great when Brock Lesnar is motivated. You always hear people talk about Lesnar in that way. It is true. When Lesnar actually has reason to get up for a match, whether it's an AJ Styles or a Daniel Bryan, Finn Balor, or it's a scenario like this where he just gets to do something that he does not normally do, you see the passion and excitement in his eyes and it completely came across here. So it looked like the segment was over and all of a sudden we have Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin attack Lashley after the confrontation and Lashley just destroyed them outside the ring, hit all his signature moves. You knew that was gonna happen because of the segment that happened backstage earlier. So that was pretty obvious and totally telegraphed. I didn't mind it in general, but seeing Alexander and Benjamin just get the shit kicked out of them and being used as fodder for Bobby Lashley, it's obviously annoying and it hurts. But this segment, out of the three I kind of just talked about, it was the most successful across Raw and SmackDown in terms of the main event segments that you know they were trying to get over for promoting Royal Rumble, basically, the two big matches at Royal Rumble. And by the way, the Royal Rumble card, we'll talk about it maybe at the end of the show. It is absolutely stacked, and we still have a number of matches that need to get announced. So, so you know, you can say what you will about WWE TV. We've been talking about this for nearly two years now. They seem to be able to deliver on pay-per-view, especially the big shows, and Royal Rumble so far looks like it's going to be very successful. So that is our main event today. Hopefully you have a better understanding, at least of where my perspective stands heading into the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania for those two big matches. And as I said, we have, I think like, I don't know, four to six more uh, TV shows before we get there. So there's plenty more that can develop. But with all of that out of the way, let's move on to the second segment on today's 
Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So let's talk about the women's main event scene. We had Bianca Belair versus Liv Morgan versus Dewdrop in a number one contendership for Becky Lynch's Raw Women's Championship. All three women got short tape promos. Becky built up and tore down each woman before joining commentary. And this got 15 minutes as the main event of Raw. As I said, it was the only women's match on the entire week. Liv did a cool flip outside and a hurricanrana inside. Belair and Morgan, they had a rough go of it for a couple minutes, uh, a couple seconds, I guess. But Dewdrop hit an awesome running double splash plus a Mishinoku driver before doing a glam slam off her shoulders, sending Liv into Bianca. Morgan flipped onto Dewdrop's back to Hurricanrana Belair off the top rope. Bianca then speared Dewdrop, but Liv got her in rings of Saturn. Belair powered out after a few minutes, but Liv caught her with a swinging codebreaker and Dewdrop with a regular codebreaker. Dewdrop powerbombed Liv, but Belair broke the fall with a really sick 450 splash that the cameras missed live, but they showed an immediate replay. Belair hit Dewdrop with a spinebuster and threw Morgan onto her before doing a double handstand spring splash. She hit Liv with the KOD, but Lynch broke the fall, threw Belair outside over the announce table. Dewdrop then hit Liv with a bonsai drop, basically, and got the one, two, three. Lynch went to shake her hand, but slapped her across the face instead. She then tried a manhandle slam, but Dewdrop completely overpowered her, and Becky looked pretty impressed. So there was a lot to unpack here. First, the match. The match was awesome. It totally over-delivered. Dewdrop is saddled with this dumbass freaking name, but she is so damn good in the ring. She could legitimately be a big-time face if they treated her right. And by that, I mean, you turn her away from this. When you eventually turn her from this, you change her damn name back to Piper Nevin. You have her cut a promo about it. She can speak. Hell, hell man, even if you don't want to do that, if you want to keep her a heel, Team her up with Becky Lynch. Let them go after like the tag team titles whenever Becky drops the women's championship. Have them be like a Celt team together. And I don't know, maybe that would be exciting. Ever change your name. They gotta get away from Dewdrop. It is such a dumb name that is saddling her with a terrible gimmick. She is so damn good. She's so much better than she's being portrayed. And she's able to show it every single time she wrestles. Dewdrop is awesome. I wish I could just call her Piper Nevin and have it make sense, but I have to, I'm stuck with that name. Anyway, match was really good. In between 3.5 and 3.75 stars, I'm at BB plus. I'm right there, but it was definitely good. Now the booking. I mean, look, they booked themselves into a corner. And I said that last week, but the problem right now is with the raw roster, everyone else that's active, that's actually available is currently involved in something. And everyone else that's not involved in something is basically inactive at this point. So could you have thrown Tamina and Dana Brooke in this? I guess, but they're doing their 24-7 shit. The tag team title picture plus Rhea Ripley and Nikki Ash, they're doing something. So really this is all WWE could go on heading into this pay-per-view. And I like that Dewdrop is getting the title shot. It makes sense to put Belair and Morgan in the Royal Rumble because they're two names that people in that match could legitimately expect to win. Whereas with Dewdrop, you would, really wouldn't think she would actually win the Royal Rumble in terms of WWE's booking for WrestleMania. They gave Bianca an out and they're now clearly setting her up for Becky at WrestleMania. That will be a women's match. Bianca Belair will win the title. My hope is that comes without her winning the Royal Rumble. She does not need to go back to back. In this match, they also protected Liv, even though she ate the fall, because she took two finishers. She took a KOD and then a bonsai drop that's not established as Dewdrop's finisher, but it seems pretty obvious that they're gonna go in that direction. And out of the three women, if you're gonna have Dewdrop win, so Dewdrop's gonna win, you don't want Belair to lose, Liv's the only choice. So someone had to take the fall. So even though it came after a recent main event push, I was okay with the booking. WWE's only other option would have been to give us a third Liv Morgan match and we would have complained because it's a rematch. Instead, we get Becky and Dewdrop, which is gonna bang. It's gonna be a great match at the Royal Rumble. I could see others complaining about this. I'm not gonna complain about it. I thought it was a pretty good decision and I'm gonna stick with that. Like I said, my only key for the Rumble, Bel Air 
should not win. She can get a title match with Lynch myriad ways. She does not need to win the Rumble and take that moment away from a number of other women. When I say a number, I guess really it's three or four at this point in WWE who could actually be elevated with a Rumble win. And you have plenty of options there. Most notably off the top are Shotzi Blackheart, Liv Morgan, and Rhea Ripley. All three of them could totally use a Rumble win. And then you have returning people who, you know, we'll talk about it as we go forward, could potentially be boosted by it. Whether it's an Alexa Bliss or Asuka, if she's able to make her way back. I don't think Bailey is going to be cleared in time, but just people like that. There, there are so many other people who should or could win the Rumble. It just really does not need to be Belair in back-to-back years. So this whole thing was good. And I think some of you may have thought I wouldn't have liked the booking, but you are obviously mistaken. So let's stick with the women, move over to SmackDown. Charlotte Flair hit the ring to say her resolution for 2022 was to make history, enter and win the Women's Royal Rumble so she could choose her own opponent at WrestleMania. She also announced that the Bella Twins, Michelle McCool, Kelly Kelly, Summer Rae, and Lita would be in the match. But not only that, Active Impact Knockouts champion Mickey James, who was released by WWE last year and has been critical of them recently, as we all know, will also be in the match. And I did not have WWE cracking open its own version of the Forbidden Door on my 2022 bingo card at all. That's pretty wild shit right there. Now, while all of this was exciting, I need to say, I kind of hate that they spoiled possibly all of the legend entries. The whole point is for these people when they show up in the Royal Rumble to pop you, to surprise you. It's to be excited when you're watching live or when you're in the audience. I don't know why WWE hates surprises so much. Now, if you want to announce Mickey for the newsworthiness of it, that makes sense. If you want to announce the Bellas because they're huge stars, that makes sense too. So you can announce those two. But Michelle McCool, Kelly Kelly, Summer Rae, and Lita, none of them needed to be announced. All should have been surprise entrants and all would have popped fans at least to some degree, you know, great degree or a minimal degree. So I was mixed on their decision, but damn, it is cool to see Mickey James there. And one other note, Pat McAfee dropped some line. I don't have it quoted right in front of me, but he dropped a line about garbage. Um, And it's hysterical because the controversy, the way it sprung up, over Mickey in WWE is when she was released, WWE sent her her belongings in a garbage bag. And we talked about this on the show ad nauseum when it happened. Uh, And Mickey took to Twitter about it. It turned out that it was a practice that WWE's done for years. I actually told you why it kind of wasn't that offensive to me. Um, There's a whole discussion to be had. You can go back and listen. Find whenever that happened. Go back to listen to our episode for my full take on it. But you know, what we later found out from Mickey is Vince McMahon called her personally to apologize. And apparently they mended fences to a degree that she's now going to be in the Royal Rumble. So that is very, very cool to get her there. And it also means to me that we're looking at a WWE Hall of Fame induction, not soon necessarily, but at some point down the line, and she certainly deserves that. Uh, Naomi came out to challenge Charlotte for the title. Flair said she's done nothing at all to deserve an opportunity, which is completely true. Naomi had no answer, so she just slapped Flair. And then she got an immediate champions contenders match. Naomi had a blockbuster off the barricade outside, and she was gonna win the match via countout when Sonya came down and made it a no countout match. Flair got the figure four, but not the figure eight as Naomi reached the ropes. Sonya then announced the only way to win was pinfall or submission. Charlotte did her terrible double moonsault, backdrop Naomi off the top rope before hitting natural selection for the one, two, three. And then Sonya taunted Naomi after the bell. So there was some really good work. There was also some really sloppy work here. Even with the stipulation changes, Flair never cheated and she won clean. They got plenty of time. They put on a decent match, plus the extended Naomi and DeVille feud. My biggest issue with everything was announcing the legends ahead of time. So I'm gonna go with good for this entire deal. And now that I broke this down, I also wanna issue a correction because I just said that the only women's match across uh, five hours of television was the triple threat on Raw. Clearly, I'm mistaken. Uh, We had the SmackDown Women's Champion in a match on SmackDown. And as I just said, it got plenty of time. So that one negative I truly had about WWE TV this week, 
I mean, there should be more than two matches. Don't get me wrong. There should be three or four and all of them should get time. But it's not that much of a negative because they had two pretty good matches across both shows. So there you go. So two goods to start this segment. On Raw, we had Edge welcoming in uh, Beth Phoenix for the cutting edge. He bragged about her and how much ass she used to kick. He said they've combined for 35 titles and are the only couple in the WWE Hall of Fame. It was a very horny segment is the best way I can put it. They also aired a video package for Beth. Miz and Maurice got major heat and then they aired their own video. Beth talked shit to Maurice, so Miz went on a rant and then Maurice just kind of walked out while he was ranting. I think she was supposed to look scared. I believe that was the point. Beth said even if Maurice didn't want to fight, she'd have no problem knocking Miz's teeth in. Wasn't the greatest segment. It was entertaining, you know, to some degree. They're really trying to stretch this out for a couple more weeks. I'd just like the heels to get over at some point. If you're going to keep doing this on TV, it seems like Edge and Beth Phoenix are winning every single segment against them to the point where when you get into the match, it's just like, it's an, it's more obvious than it already would be that the faces are going to win. Now, again, there could be a scenario where the heels cheat, Miz and Maurice win, and somehow there's another match at WrestleMania. I just really cannot believe that they're going to do that. I think it's a total steamroll situation for Edge and Phoenix right now. Uh, I'm going to go with a good, just because again, sometimes with our limited grading here, we have three categories, good, bad, and ugly. Two of them are negative. This wasn't bad. So I'm not, I can't say it was bad. It was somewhat entertaining. So yeah, uh, I'll stick with a good, just wasn't anything special. We had the Raw Tag Team Championships on the line, RK Bro defending against Alpha Academy. Randy Orton wrote on Riddle's hand, reminding him to tag Orton in if he gets in trouble. They also agreed to get cheesesteaks after the show. Riddle and Chad Gable had like six great minutes of wrestling together, but we only saw three of them due to a commercial break that started three minutes after the prior commercial. The crowd popped huge for Orton's hot tag. He hit Gable with a perfect superplex, but with Riddle down outside, Otis blind tagged, Gable avoided an RKO, threw Orton into Otis, and Otis hit the world's strongest slam for a shocking title change in just less than 10 minutes. Now, this was awesome. More so the result than the match. The lone negative is the match time. If you're going to do a title change and you're going to have four guys that are popping the crowd, you got to let them go 15 to 17 minutes. I have no idea why they rushed this match, but this had some great elements. It was a surprise title change. Both Otis and Gable looked strong. Orton took the fall instead of Riddle, who should take as few falls as possible. It never reached the second gear for like a really high match rating, but it gets a solid 3.5 stars and a B. Now, my guess is that WWE did this not to split Riddle and Orton, but to allow them to compete in the Royal Rumble as singles and possibly have them win the championships back at WrestleMania in a big moment that would pop the crowd because clearly RK-Bro is one of the top two or three face acts in WWE right now. It just, to me, does not at all feel like a time for a split. They did drop the titles, and we know WWE likes to split tag teams after titles are dropped, but there is no animosity between them on screen. The last, like, three weeks or so, Orton has completely bought into Riddle's stuff, and they're having fun, and they're clearly friends and all that. Now, perhaps they tell a story about Orton realizing that he's been buying into it, it affecting him, it cost them the titles, and therefore he gets angry and splits with Riddle over it. Um, there's a ton of different ways that this could go, but I think they are going to actually keep them together, let them get through the rumble and just kind of figure out a way for them to win the number one contendership ahead of the WrestleMania and have them win the titles back. That is my booking the damn territory as for right now. I also want to send a real big shout out first to Chad Gable for finally getting another championship and a big moment in WWE. It's not a singles title like we want, but the tag team title is something And a shout out to Otis for his first ever title at any level in WWE. The truth that people are going to hate to hear is that Alpha Academy is better than Heavy Machinery ever was. NXT main roster at any point. Heavy Machinery, they had a gimmick. It was kind of fun. The stakes and weights deal. Tucky and, you know, all all the verbiage they used, all that type of stuff. But it was comedic and it really had a limited shelf life. This pairing works really well. And they are legitimate friends 
in real life. They've been friends, I think, for a decade at this point. Chad Gable posted something on Twitter about them training for the Olympic trials, a house opening down the street from Gable's house and Otis legitimately buying it uh, a couple like weeks ago or something like that. So they're legit best friends. They're in a tag team. The tag team works. They work well together on screen and they are now the Raw Tag Team Champions. That's a very good story. And I'll tell you what, it's also a great face turn type of story. Not that you turn them while they're champions, but if you want to turn them face, you can go back into their history uh, in the Olympic trials, Gable being in the Olympics, legit being good friends for 10 years, living near each other. There is so much runway that WWE can get out of that if they, let's say, split up RK Bro and want another big face team on Raw. Alpha Academy can be that team. So I still want Gable to get his true moment in the sun as a singles competitor, but it'll come, you know, whether it comes or not, I still have hope. I'll keep it out there. We'll put it in the universe. Now, one other thing before we move on is I don't know if it's purposeful, but Orton throughout his history always struggled against Mark Henry and the world's strongest slam. That move always beat him. So I know Otis has been using it, so it's pretty standard. But if Otis beating him with it is like an Easter egg or they call back at all to it, or even if they don't, to me as a longtime WWE fan, I found that extremely entertaining. Now, we also had a SmackDown Tag Team Championship match, the Usos against the New Day in a street fight. So New Day got a rematch for no reason whatsoever after losing squeaky clean at day one. That was terrible. This was also billed as their last chance for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. So I guess at least there was that. But how about you just don't do the match and not make it their last chance and allow them to challenge for the titles four months from now or something like that? It just, it's booking yourself into a corner for no reason. New Day promised before the match they'd win the titles. The Usos said nothing in their promo, but it does seem like the 3D has been established as their new finisher, the 1D which is cool. The Usos, I don't mind the double Uso splash, but a tag team finisher is always great when it, when a team figures one out. Clearly they got permission from the Dudley boys and it's great that they're using it. This was a tornado style match because it was a street fight. Kofi Kingston did a trust fall at the bell. They all fought at the entrance. Xavier Woods got a step through tornado DDT, but ate a pop-up Samoan drop. The Usos hit both New Day members with steel steps, even bringing them into the crowd, which I've never seen before. Woods wore a Spartan helmet as Kofi used a chest shield as a weapon. Fans chanted for tables, so New Day got one. They all traded super kicks. Jay ate trouble in paradise, but Jimmy broke the fall. Kofi took stereo super kicks and then a 1D through the table as the Usos retained the titles. It was an entertaining match, but the comedy stuff was kind of stupid. It was nowhere in the same universe as good as their match at day one. And again, there was no reason for this match to happen at all but it was nice to see the 1D get put over. I went 3.25 stars in a B. Maybe it should have been a B minus, whatever. It was good. Alexa Bliss was in a psychiatrist's office with the exact same character that she left with. The doctor said she's made strides over the last few weeks, but tested her with a video of Lily being torn apart by Charlotte Flair. So Bliss grabbed the pitcher, poured a glass of water until it overflowed, then threw the pitcher against the wall and just tossed everything in the office. I mean, it, it was pretty terrible. Maybe there's a surprise twist or some type of ending to this that's just gonna, you know, go against our expectations. But I, I don't know. <laughs> this seemed like nonsensical garbage to me. Zero point zero. And if their idea of bringing up this Lily feud is to have Bliss win the Royal Rumble challenge Charlotte Flair and then do this gimmick at WrestleMania with Lily coming back. And I mean, it would be worse. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. We would literally just have to mark it zero. Mark it zero. You can yourself too. I'm not a thousand percent against Bliss coming back with some form of the character she had when she left. But to this degree, without any changes, all these months off, that's creative bankruptcy. And we know WWE has that plenty of times. You have all this time to switch her character or give her an interesting storyline, do something different with her. And you literally just bring her back exactly where she left after you've already fired Bray Wyatt in a scenario where no one likes this character anymore. It 
hasn't really hit. And it was involved in some of the worst booking that WWE had in 2021. But sure, let's not change a single thing. Again, maybe something happens with the psychiatrist over the next few weeks. And when she does come back, she's different. As of right now, it is ugly. No doubt about it. AJ Styles fought Austin Theory. Backstage, Theory said his goal was to impress Vince McMahon, who told him not to screw this up. We did not see Vince on the show. Theory hit a rolling dropkick and a neckbreaker over his knee, but Styles got up on him and he was preparing for a phenomenal forearm. That's when Grayson Waller, who's fighting Styles Tuesday night on NXT, took him out for a DQ. Theory took a selfie, then Styles got over on Waller. Waller cut a solid, really quick promo backstage. The match went seven minutes. It was fine. I would have preferred an attack leading to a Theory pinfall or Styles overcoming an attack for the win instead of a DQ. Also, I thought Theory was supposed to be fighting Finn Balors, who, by the way, is really conspicuous by his absence right now. This is just one of those ungradable segments. It's between, again, good and uh, good and bad. It's barely good just because it, it really wasn't bad, but there was nothing special about it. Sami Zayn fought Rick Boogs on SmackDown. Sami said it's been a year since he was robbed of his intercontinental title. He started ranting on Shinsuke Nakamura, ducking him. And then he saw Johnny Knoxville, who said he was campaigning to be in the Royal Rumble. Zayn said he's not qualified to be in WWE or wrestle in the Rumble and should stay out of everyone's way unless he shows something. Boogs then digged Nakamura's entrance, even though Boogs was the one wrestling. There was a really good spot in the match where Zayn was in a vertical suplex stance. He forced Boogs to his knees, only for Boogs to stand up with him in his arms, power him up into the air, and then hit it. Then Sammy argued with Nakamura outside, and Boogs caught him in a cradle for the win. Knoxville then ran in and tossed Zayn over the top rope, with the ring announcer then confirming he was in the Royal Rumble. So let's think about what we got here. WWE had its number one contender for the Intercontinental Championship lose a seven-minute match, half of which happened during commercial, one week after he earned his title shot. Then it used that moment as a way to put Knoxville over when the guy was basically already in the Royal Rumble match. He announced it, they've been promoting it, so they never really said he needed to qualify. So why did he need to throw Zayn over the top rope one time and how does that make him qualified to be in it? This was just terrible shit and it wasn't even entertaining because we barely saw wrestling. I actually wrote bad uh, on my notes. I'm changing it. This wasn't just bad. This was ugly. This is crap. It really was bullcrap. I should also note, uh, Boogs said in an interview this past week that Nakamura has been dealing with a wrist injury which is why he hasn't really been competing and why he's been hidden a little bit in tag team matches. And that does make the booking of Shinsuke and the Intercontinental title make a ton more sense. But it also means WWE probably should have made a title change two months ago, rather than just stringing this out, not having him defend the title. Sami Zayn is now the number one contender. We don't even know when that match is gonna happen. We presume both of them are gonna be in the Royal Rumble match. Maybe it's on the go-home SmackDown. I don't know. It's just really, really strange. On Raw, we had Damian Priest and the Street Profits against Apollo Crews and the Dirty Dogs. The faces had a conversation, making sure they were on the same page. It was clunky. The crowd was surprisingly dead for this, considering the Profits were in the match. And they had some really good spots too, but the crowd just never perked up. Angelo Dawkins had a good hot tag. Commander Aziz distracted Priest outside. So Crews caught him with a kick and then Montez Ford in a huge tope to take them out. Dawkins avoided Robert Roode inside, but Dolph Ziggler caught him with a zigzag to win the match in 10 minutes. This was perfectly fine. It's silly that it got the same amount of time as a tag team title change. Like this is the type of match that you cut down the time and you give it to the tag team match. It That one should have been longer. This one was just right. It was more of a time filler than anything else, but it also showed WWE struggles to make fans care about anyone that's not one of the top two or three things being featured on a show at any given time. Still, there was nothing bad about it, so by default, it was good. Super Brutality on Raw hit the ring for an announcement. Nikki Ash made an official challenge for the women's tag team titles, but that made Rhea Ripley upset because she thought they were announcing that they were gonna be in the Royal Rumble. When Ripley tried to talk, Nikki kept interrupting her. Ripley said they should split. Nikki took offense and said she did Ripley a favor by being in a tag team with her. Nikki was basically acting like an asshole the entire time, and Ripley was clearly the face. 
Ripley offered her hand to end their partnership amicably, but Nikki wanted to hear that Ripley actually believed in her. And if she did, she said, okay, we can split up. So she said she believed in her. They hugged. Ripley kissed her on the head. Then Ripley offered a fist bump. And when she did that, Nikki attacked her saying, almost superheroes don't need friends. And she had like a sly grin on her face. Okay, so you're you're probably going to think that I'm gonna tear this apart. I may surprise you just a bit because there's two different parts to this. There's the booking of it and then there's the execution of it. The booking I actually enjoyed. It subverted our expectations from what's happened over the last few weeks. They also got a ton of time in the ring to tell the story and it creates a scenario where Ripley not only has an interim feud, but is perhaps now on track to be a favorite again in the Royal Rumble. And those are all positives. The problem was the execution. Neither Ripley nor Nikki are great on the mic, at least when Ripley is doing scripted shit. So the execution of it was rough. It took a long time and it was pretty boring, but I'm always honest. And I really didn't mind the booking itself. So the story gets a good, the execution gets a bad, but I do leave with slightly more hope for both of them than I have had in months where they've just been in this tag team. It hasn't really worked back and forth with the tag team titles for both of them to have a clear direction now. And for WWE, who knows, man, maybe they're moving away from the women's tag team titles because there's only one women's tag team on the main roster. It's the champions and no one else is teamed up right now. So maybe they're moving away from the titles. Maybe they're going to forget about them. I don't know. But for Ripley, it's a very positive development. And I think for Nikki, there's a chance it gets her out of this character and that would be a positive as well. So, you know, again, good for the booking, bad for the execution. Happy Talk was held with Madcap Moss entering with a flaccid sword while dressed to mock Drew McIntyre. Moss actually had a halfway decent Scottish accent. I gotta give him a little credit. The impression was the best thing that these guys have done yet. Uh, the segment though was it's pretty unfunny as usual. Uh, the Viking Raiders then fought the Happy Boys, which is just what I'm calling them. Moss beat Eric with the punchline, which is a simple neck breaker in a few minutes. It looked like they were building the Raiders back up and now they just have them lose to the Happy Boys. But hey, Moss got the win instead of Corbin. Corbin, I thought was being set up for McIntyre. The whole thing is nonsensical. Hated it. Worst match on WWE TV this week and an easy decision for bad. And then lastly here, Reggie bought uh, Dana Brooke some cheesesteaks and then they got a sense that they were about to be attacked. Tamina again got upset at R-Truth and Akira Tozawa. Same thing every week. Reggie ran into Omas, who choked them until Dana yelled. Omas said to watch his match because he'll beat Reggie's ass worse next week. So we had Omas against a jobber. This skinny, tiny dude didn't even get a name. Omas murdered him. He won with a lifted choke slam. This actually lasted way too long, this squash match. I know Omas was like toying with the guy, but still, squashes are good for giants. This wasn't done well. Omas has size, he has presence. That stuff is impressive. He does not have the in-ring skill and he doesn't seem to have the personality. I just do not think this is going to work. So I have to go with bad here as well. Again, the Viking Raiders Happy Boys match was the worst match. This was the shortest match of the week. Neither of them were worth being on television. They're, they're just things that did not need to happen, especially the way that they transpired. So that's really it for the good, the bad, and the ugly. But I did promise we would do a very quick like Royal Rumble preview. And I just wanna run down this card because I am pretty impressed with how they've built it so far. So you have Edge and Beth Phoenix against the Miz and Maurice, which is a, a cool, you know, nostalgia type of match. Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley for the WWE Championship, first time ever. That's awesome. Roman Reigns versus Seth Rollins for the Universal Championship. Of course, that's awesome. The men's Royal Rumble match. So far, the entrance, nothing special, but it is a Royal Rumble and those are usually good. And the women's Royal Rumble match where 19 of the 30 women are announced and there's a ton of women, including Mickey James, Mickey James and the Bella Twins already being announced. And it seems like it's gonna get Bianca Belair, Liv Morgan, and a couple other, of course, big names from the main roster, maybe fill in the rest of the spots from NXT. So right now, this card is looking pretty stacked. They have the ability to add maybe Sami Zayn and Shinsuke Nakamura for the Intercontinental title to it. And there could be, you know, a, a tag team title match or, you know, maybe Damian Priest gets a match on the kickoff show and then is in the Rumble. 
they, you know, Charlotte Flair clearly will not be defending the SmackDown title because she's in the Royal Rumble match. So there's just a lot of really interesting things they can do to fill out this card. But so far, to have five matches on the card, I'm sorry, six matches on the card because I forgot one, the Raw Women's Championship, Becky Lynch versus Dewdrop in what should be a banger of a women's championship match. So for six matches on the card, there's only really space for one or two more because the Royal Rumbles are so long. This is a really good pay-per-view card or premium live event card, I'm sorry. We have a few weeks, of course, to go. We're gonna see what happens, I believe, over the next two weeks, I wanna say, in terms of television to actually build towards it, plus an additional episode of SmackDown. But it does seem like the Royal Rumble is going to be stacked, and I am excited for that show. So, so far, so good from WWE. Let's see what happens Friday night on SmackDown, especially with the main event Reigns-Lesnar deal. Do they keep talking title versus title? Does Lesnar even show up on SmackDown? Do they keep them apart? Um, you know, WWE has a lot of stuff to do in a very short period of time. They got a book for the Royal Rumble. They got a build for this Saudi Arabia show, like two or three weeks after that. And then they have a ton of time between that and WrestleMania. So it is going to be extremely interesting to see how things unfold from now through the end of January. Now, as far as things are going to unfold here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we will be back on Thursday with our normal AEW and NXT episodes. So do not miss that. And of course, we will be back next Tuesday talking all things WWE. Before we get out of here, a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating for this podcast on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show. It's a five-star review. We will read it live on this podcast. And everyone, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Thank you all for listening. Vintage Chris Benini will be back maybe Thursday, but definitely on Tuesday for our next WWE show. So just for myself, the Silver King, I'm going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.